When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Ryder Carroll, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Barty. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. I am so happy to have Ryder Carroll back on the program today for this episode. It's been a while since he's been on the program. Uh, We will link to his previous appearance in the show notes. We talk about a lot of things, including the evolution of the bullet journal method. Five years from this year that this episode is released is when the bullet journal book came out, the bullet journal method. And then the bullet journaling has been around for a decade. So there's a lot of things that we get into. We talk about AI a little bit near the tail end. We talk about a whole bunch of things related to intention resolutions. It's a great conversation. You do not want to miss it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a productive conversation with Ryder Carroll. Ryder, thanks once again for having another productive conversation with me. Although, like we said earlier, you've been on the show when it's been the Productivityist podcast. I think we've chatted with you back in the mics on mics days or workflowing or whatever it was, um, depending on when you are on. So thanks so much for uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me on yet again. <laughs> okay, so here's so here's the thing. We're how many years on with the bullet journal method at this point? The book came out in 20... When did it 18. come out? 2018. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's been out for, we're going on five years now, right? And the bullet journal method, the bullet journal itself has been around for quite a while. What, what, as we get into it right away, um, you're, you're not in, you're in, you're in, you're in Australia right now. So you're not even on the North American continent. What, what's changed for you in those, in the time since the book came out? And even since, you know, since you basically invented the bullet journal method. Yeah. <laughs> the short answer is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this year, August 8th of this year will mark 10 years since I launched bulletjournal.com. I would say that pretty much everything has changed in those past 10 years. I mean, in the last three years alone, many things have changed, but um, I think the book itself was a milestone. This 10 years will be another milestone for me. I work on Bullet Journal full-time now, whereas before it was more of a passion project. Um, and that's wonderful. I've been building up a team around it and trying to figure out really what Bullet Journal can be for more people, right? And the best way that I was able to figure that out is with other people. <laughs> it started with it just being a one-man band and I realized that I became my own bottleneck really quickly. So now I'm working with some incredibly talented people to help us teach the bullet journal method to as many people as possible. 
one thing that, that I want to bring up right out of the gate is um, I didn't know that your father was novelist jo- Jonathan Carroll. I didn't know that. And so I, when I was, because we've had conversations before, so I wanted to dig into some stuff that we hadn't done before. I also will have some questions from those watching live, Time Crafting Trust Premium members watching live on the private YouTube stream right now. But has he, had, like, he just has a new book that just came out. I saw the photo of... You know the 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 journals and the notebooks, and there's a, a familiar logo that I saw with some of them. But you know, you you want to help other people. Has he adopted some of the stuff that you've taught in ter- terms of bullet journaling? Because that's something that's helped him as a creative. Because I think a lot of creatives love using this, and the fact that you know, I mean, again, he's and and I I can't wait to read Mr. Breakfast. By the way, I'm looking forward to it because it's got that time. The, the whole, yeah, like I'm looking forward to that, especially around Groundhog Day. It makes sense. But but I'm just wondering if, if there's been stuff that, that he's taken from your work and adopted. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. My, my father is really zen when it comes to productivity. Like he, he he's kind of inspirational in that he, he really has decluttered his workflow. He writes. That's it. Like he writes, you know email sometimes but it's really he's gotten rid of everything that is not essential just to make room for it so what's kind of wonderful about that is in that context which is very rare and it's taken him a lifetime to work towards like your productivity system is really not that helpful right it's like he he writes and that's what he does have you found <laughs> that, really that have, to organize have you found that that's happening for you too to a degree like i mean i mean yes you're running a team stuff but i mean as you've whittled i mean cuz you when you started this like you said it this wasn't your main thing but now that this is your main thing have you found that something similar has happened to you as well to a degree it depends i mean for my personal life i would say that my lists have become much shorter mm. but when it comes to work now that i work with a team my work lists have become much longer and more complicated but a lot of that can be delegated what is interesting though is my mother has become a bullet journalist okay so she navigates retirement in a very different way has a lot of things to be organizing and taking care of just very different types so it's kind of interesting to see which of my parents in the system and which one didn't <laughs> I think my dad has used more of my bullet journal notebooks because he loves them to write on. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of one of the things that, that, you know, bullet journals tend to do, and you've seen this is um, they take ownership of it. They take the, the, the framework and they expand on it. And um, one of the things that just before we recorded today, I spent about a half hour meditating and I know some people use the bullet journal to track. What are some of the things that you've discovered through interacting with, you know, the people that have adopted the bullet journal method over the years that, that they track or that they use their bullet journal for that you were, you were surprised by. Uh, it, and maybe, maybe in a way that like, it just didn't even dawn on you. I'm sure there's a few, but is there any that stand out? Uh, I would say the answer is yes, but there's so many things that I hadn't anticipated because I use it for something very specific. For me, it was the way for to navigate my ADHD, right? right? That was a big part. Like, how do I focus and keep track of all these things? And other people use it for very specific applications that don't really apply to my life at all. Um, so I've seen doctors use it. I've seen... You know, veterinaries use it. I have seen it used a lot in different religious institutions, a lot in fetish institutions, like every kind of institution you can imagine. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess 
anything can be organized. Anything can benefit from taking a step back and thinking about why you're doing what you're doing, no matter what it is that you're into. And people are into a lot of things. Um, Edward, who is a member of the Time Crafting Trust Premium Committee, has a question. I think it dovetails nicely into what we just talked about. Um, can you talk sure. to the flexibility of the tool beyond what's in your book? Like how else are people using it? So you touched on that a little bit. It, you know, the book itself, you you dive into the method and, and the origin story and, and all that stuff as well as, you know, giving some guidance. But is there anything that maybe in the five years has, you know, hey, this could be this could be an addendum to the book at this point, or this is something that, um, you know, the, the how flexible the tool is, things that you've noticed that are like, oh, this is something that, that I think could be, you know, I could draw more attention to uh, with the way that the method works. For me, really the biggest shift is it going from a productivity system really to a framework for living an intentional life. And that means something different to different people. And as I get deeper and deeper into this with my community, there, there really needs to be a framework for that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we have a lot of incredibly powerful philosophy for thousands of years, and we have a lot of different ways to be more productive. But the thing that I think the bullet journal method provides is kind of how do you take that insight and put it into action? How do you actualized philosophy in some ways. Does this actually work in my life? Is this adding value? Is this not adding value? And doing that in a very systematic way and doing it in a systematic way that makes sense for the way that you think and the way that you live, that's the flexibility really coming into its own in the bullet journal method. It's you bring its purpose to the system, right? That's that's really the, it. Most people are like, what is it for? And I'm like, well, it's for living an intentional life. That's what I believe. And right. that means something different for different people. Like, do you want to be a better parent? Do you want to be a better teacher? Do you want to, you know, take better care of yourself? Mental health, you bring the purpose to the platform. And I think that's that's interesting because a lot of people they tend to put the platform first, right? Or the app in some instances, right? Like if I get this app, it's going to make me better. It's going to make me more productive. It's going to make me more intentional. Um, and you actually allude to some of this in a blog post about resolutions versus intentions. Like as we're recording this, we're, we're into eight, we're into February. Uh, and of course this episode aired just a couple weeks after we recorded it. Um, and this is the time of year where resolutions, New Year's resolutions, start to fall by the wayside if they haven't already. Really liked what you said, and I'd love to hear you expand upon the idea of resolutions versus intentions. We'll link to the blog post in the show notes for sure. But, I, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the dilution of resolutions as well. Uh, so I'd like, can we touch on that a little bit? Because to your point, you bring intentionality to the platform, it's going to give you a lot more juice for lack of a better term. Um, so let, let, can we dive into that a little bit, this, this resolutions versus intentions uh, concept? Sure, certainly. I, I'm terrible at keeping resolutions and I have been for years, even with this productivity system, even when I meet my goals, you know, all these things, the resolutions like never start for me. And I was thinking about it as a concept and I'm like, okay, how do you truly delineate between resolutions, intentions, goals, and plans? Like when you hear those words, you're like, oh, those are different things. But when you start looking into it, like those definitions overlap tremendously. And then it doesn't become so clear. So 
for me, I think that language is an incredibly powerful technology. And it's important to understand what things actually mean conceptually in order to act on them, in order to put them into action. And for me, when I started looking into resolutions, it started to become clear that there's a major flaw in the concept of a resolution, at least for me, mm-hmm. the way that I see this, right? Because a resolution is that you're dedicating yourself to a specific outcome, right? My resolution for this year is to, you know, get 10,000 followers or to, you know, double my income or whatever it is. And that sounds fine. And that sounds aspirational. Oftentimes, I think specifically in the productivity community, you set these like really lofty goals or resolutions. And again, like what's the difference there? For me, I, I had to delineate between the two of them because it's important. And this is why. I think in order to affect change in your life or to actually make any progress, you really have to focus on the things that you can control, right? And this is the thing about a resolution. The resolution makes you (laughs) dedicate yourself to something that is out of your control, which is an outcome, right? Like you can't control whether you're going to double your income. You can't control how many followers you'll get. You can't control this. You can't control most things, Mm -hmm. right? And that's actually very helpful because when you start to figure out what you can control, then you can focus on that and get so much time back because you're investing into the only engine that will help you make progress. Right. And that's really like intrinsically motivated goals for me in some ways. You can think about it like this. So what's the difference between a resolution and a goal? These are my terms and sure. granted they, they differ. But for me, a goal is a definition of an outcome. That's all it is, right? It's not the, the, the dedication or commitment to an outcome. It's simply the definition of an outcome. And I think goals are really important because it helps you conceptualize some milestone. Or I like to, I like to think of goals as lighthouses, right? Yep. You're, you're, they're there to give you direction. Whether you get to them or not is a second thing that we can get into. But they're just there to help you Think about where do I want to go? And then the next part is the plan. How am I going to get there? Resolutions are kind of like this muddy amalgam of like, okay, it's kind of a direction. It's kind of a commitment. They're, they're usually too vague. <laughs> it, it, it's almost as if you can't it, control. It, 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 to me, it's almost as if you should move forward towards your goals with resolve, not res, not be, or to be resolute, not to have resolutions. I think that's the, and what's interesting is, and this is where we'll geek out a bit is you talked about, it's really important to understand the things you can control versus the things you can't. And this is what drives me nuts about time management is people go, I'm going to manage my time. Like time cannot be controlled. You cannot control time. You can control things like attention and like things that you have a greater command over. You have a greater sense of control. Like, and incidentally, attention is getting it harder and harder to control you know, but there are, but you can control it if you, if there are ways to do it, but time moves on whether we want it to or not. So the fact when people say, oh, I'm going to take control of your time, I'm like, you're not really taking control of time. You're taking control of the things that live within time that live within it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're in, like, you're talking about goals, intentions. And we've talked about this before, but I mean, my, my definition of productivity, which again is kind of, you know, you're talking about what your definition and what words and words are super powerful to me. If you're going to talk about what being productive is, it's, 
it's the alignment, the active alignment or, or linking of your intention, what you intend to do, big or small, versus with your attention. You know, like how are you going to consistently make progress towards it? It's funny. Words do hold power and they mean different things to different people. Because when I've said that to people before, they're like, oh, no, no, intentions aren't actions. They're like big things. They're like things that I'm like, no, the term intend is literally to do something like it's an intent. An intent can be I intend to do the dishwasher or I'm I'm going to do the dishwasher. That's an intent, right? Mm -hmm. But people think about it's 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 dangerously close to the thing you're talking about with resolutions they become lofty and big and if you that's i think that's the bigger problem and and what i like about the bullet journal method what i like about time crafting all these methods that have a timeless element to them that can apply to multiple platforms because you've got an app and you don't have to use the loistrum bullet journal you could use whatever you want that's the that's the sweet spot to me um and it's it it, when I when I read your work around this stuff, where it's getting philo- like there's a philosophical component to it, that's that's the place that I think that's where the time that's the change. Maybe that's the thing. Like what's changed when I asked you between like the ten years, the five years, the change now is that you've lived in it for so long that you've had time to think about. It. There's a philosophical component that actually holds weight because you've spent time thinking about it, right? Yes. And I've also experienced firsthand what happens if it's not there, right? A lot of times people think that philosophy is kind of optional and meta and like philosophy originated as a way to live a better life. Like it's a technology to help you live a better life. That's really what philosophy is there. Yes, it can get very lofty and very abstract and unuseful. And I think that that's usually what people see, people talking about problems that nobody has or new concepts that don't really affect us. But for me, really what it all boils down to is how do I take advantage of this game I get to play right now, right? I get this life and how do I make the most out of that? And to go back to what you're saying before, this is another thing in the productivity space that I think is a big misconception. Time can't be made. You can't make time, right? Time can only be taken and it can be taken from you or it can be taken by you. And that's the choice that you're making. A lot of productivity is about that choice. What time will you take? And then the question, which is the philosophical part for me, is why? Why are you taking that time? What is it for? And I think that for me before, I was so driven by what I was doing that I never really focused on why I was doing it. It's like, okay, I have to get a raise. I have to start my own company. I have to this, I have to that. And over and over and over again, it just kept feeling empty because I was ticking a box. I was doing something that I was supposed to, was supposed to want, supposed to be important to me and supposed to this, supposed to that. And never really asked myself, why is this important to me? And I feel like when that question is missing, no matter how productive you are, It'll feel empty. Yeah. Like over and over and over again. And this is what for me, like my my take on intentions is also a little bit different than I think is common for me. So we have resolutions, which are a commitment to an outcome. And then for me, so how is that different from intentions? For me, intentions are a commitment to a process. Right. And that process is aligning your actions with your values. That's something that is is not fixed 
because your values change. And then like a big part for me, what goals are, or goals are experiments that you run, right? You, you take on these projects to run an experiment to see whether or not this action helps you to actually align with your value. Like it, when you, because what are goals? What are, what are projects? What are actions? You know, they are ways to embody a value. <laughs> They're a way to truly embody this thing that you care about or that you think you care about. And then when you do that thing, you can see whether or not you feel that that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Is this helping me be a better parent? Is this helping me be a better leader? How do I feel about that? And I feel like that, that, that feeling connection about what we're doing and what we're feeling is often lost in this space. <laughs> because you're like, okay, I'm just going to keep working on this for three years. And then I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that I'm going to feel wonderful about it. And my life is going to change. And in my experience, that's never been the case. Like generally speaking, your gut feeling can tell you whether or not you're moving towards something that is meaningful to you or it's not in real time. You don't have to wait, you know, 10 years. What are you reading right now? What are you reading these days? Right now, I am reading What We Owe the Future uh, by William McCaskill, mm -hmm. uh, by the founder of Effective Altruism, which might be the, one of the most terrifying books I've ever read. Um, and then for fun, I'm reading Master Margarita, which I just got into. Okay, cool. I've been reading, um, and I mean, it, it's hard not to because I'm a big fan of Rick Rubin, but I've been reading The Creative Act, A Way of Being. I don't know if you've read it yet or not, or, or mm -hmm. uh, it's just there. It, what's interesting is the timeless advice that, like, he. one thing he brings up, and I've got some more questions from the community I want to get to, but I want to go into this a little bit, is he? one of the things he said during his interview with Anderson Cooper was the audience comes last. And it was very interesting to hear him say that because when, when I think about some of the stuff that I do, build, create, whatever, some of it is driven by, oh, the audience wants this. And, and um for the longest time. But when I was doing comedy and things like that, it wasn't that. It was what made me laugh. What did I do? What And, and I've started to shift back towards that. And what's interesting is when I read that quote, or heard that quote, rather, I started thinking about the old, like, if uh, the Ford th the Ford quote, which is if I asked the audience what they want, if I asked the consumers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse, right? Or whatever that, uh, you know, there is something about timeless advice like timeless um advice isn't the right word but things things that hold true and stand the test of time and now that you're 10 years in five, with with the method and 5 years in with the book there you have to i mean this is clearly something that is going to you, you have to know this is going to stand the test of time in some way shape or form how do you feel about that in some ways i definitely feel that i have to be more careful Right. About things that I spend my attention on, like that I invest my intention in. I think that as I do this methodology more and more, as I live this methodology more and more, I keep seeing more and more potential and seeing where it can go and what it means to live an intentional life can go everywhere. It can mean so many different things. So for me, it's, it's really trying to figure out what I think can have the largest impact in my own life, to be quite honest, because like that's where the audience comes last. Yep. Speaking of my father, he gave me one of the best pieces of creative advice that I think I ever heard. And as I keep working on this, it's true. It's like, he's an author, so it comes from that standpoint, from that school of creativity, but it's like, write what you want to read. 
right? And I, I feel like, as you said before, you run the risk of starting to be data-driven in many ways. When you start creating things that you think that people are going to like, but that's not where really where you started. Hopefully not. Like for me, my, the, the piece of advice I like to give people who are starting off, I'm like, solve a problem in your own life. <laughs> that's really, if you solve a problem there, you know for sure that at least one person is going to benefit from it. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one more than a lot of business businesses that I hear about, right? It's like, oh, we're going to create this app. I'm like, who's the helping exactly? Do you know anybody that actually suffers from this problem? Or is this a problem you invented to solve? There's so many problems to actually solve. So for me, I continue to develop this in the direction of problems that I see, not only for me, but also like, oh, there are a bunch of people who have this challenge. And then I read into it and I really start developing programming around it. And for better or for worse, I use my own uh, challenges, if you will, as a way to help me guide my curiosity. But these are real things. These are real experiences. And I feel like as long as I keep sharing what is real for me, it will be real for others. Justin from uh, the uh, Time Crafting Trust Premium Community asks, how do you encourage people starting with the system to not get caught up in the elaborate layouts on like Instagram, Pinterest, all that stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to answer that. I would say, what interests you about bullet journaling? What problem do you think it can solve for you? I, I feel like we've talked about intention a lot. And that's the first thing I always ask people. Like, what is your intention? Like what, what process are you committing to here? Is it to be kinder to yourself, to be better at school, to like what problem can this tool help you solve? And then all of a sudden, the thing that's so miraculous about this is that it will start to reflect that need very quickly. If you don't have that, then it will reflect other people's needs and it will reflect other people's styles and it will become whatever you see online because you feel like that's what's right. Right. And that's not true at all. And when you try that, it's not going to feel right. It's going to feel wrong. So beginning with what is simple to you. And for some people, like actually having a platform where they can express themselves creatively by drawing with colors, like that's what they need. Mm -hmm. But if you look at that and you're like, uh, do I need to do that? Then that, that, that suggests to me that that's not the need. If you see something that excites you, that motivates you, like, oh, this is something I run up against all the time. I need to be able to plan medication for my aging parents, or I need to figure out, you know, how to get my whatever uh, business under control. Then like you have a real need and the, the, the methodology will quickly support you or become much more relevant, much more quickly. Without that intention, it's just a lot of guesswork. It's like, so my job is to create essentially a toolkit and then you pick the tools that make sense given your challenge or your intention. So I'm going to ask you a question that I, I've asked David Allen this before when it comes to getting things done. And there was somebody, uh, I'll link to this in the show notes as well, but there was a Medium article uh, that from someone, and you might have even read it. I don't know if you have, but uh, it said like why bullet journaling didn't work for me. I was like, obviously, speaking of data-driven, that's going to be a catchy headline for sure, right? <laughs> but what when, when, when people have said that getting things done wasn't working for them, the, I would always look at it, and there's always going to be elements that you adapt and modify. I mean, I, I did it. The weekly review was a thing that really a lot of people struggle with, myself included. With 
with the bullet journal method, I'm wondering if someone comes back and writes something like that or says something like that, um, obviously it's hard not to take it a little bit personally. You're a human being and so on and so forth. But by the same token, you've got like a massive amount of people that it does work for. So when someone says it doesn't work for them, what, what, what in your mind, is there something that you can say or like, like what, what does that look like for you? If anything, it really depends on the context. So there have been many articles like that at this point. Yep. And one of two things usually happens. One is that people start doing what I said, which is they start emulating people that they see and, you know, like I've seen people like, how can I do this? It takes me four hours to set up one month. I'm like, I don't bullet journal for four hours all together in one month, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, something went wrong there. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it's, it's disheartening, I guess, in some ways, because somebody came into this with an expectation, like they actually had a need and somewhere that need got lost. Right. Right. Or that need was not um, represented in the actual practice itself. Usually when people don't they give up bullet journaling, it's because they, uh, bullet journaled for somebody else, not for themselves. They were doing what other people needed, not what they did. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a shame. And I feel like that's an opportunity for me, my team to continuously create better language and better educational tools to help. Like if you're going to try it, try it this way. And then that's kind of brings us to the second one. It's like, I tried it the minimal way and it didn't work for me. And you know what? I get that <laughs> as somebody in the productivity space, Minds are different. And I, I think that's, that doesn't, I guess that upsets me less because they gave it a real try and it didn't work for them. And the whole reason I designed this thing for myself is because nothing else worked for me. I had to create something that worked for me. So if somebody tried it, they gave it an honest shot and it didn't work. Like the big one is usually people are like, I'm just all digital and I can't do the notebook thing. I'm like, I get that. Mm -hmm. I totally understand that. And that's, that's fine. It's just like when somebody tries it and they do something like they don't really get to experience what it can be like, which is usually the majority of these kind of articles. And it's interesting because I'll read articles where it says like, this is why I gave a bullet journaling. And actually they didn't, they gave up somebody else's form of bullet journaling and they made it their own. It's like, <laughs> now I do it much simpler. And it's like, okay, they, they found that, that they discovered the problem for themselves and they were able to mitigate it. So the, that, that's pretty much it. Last time we talked, we talked about the app. The app came up. We, you, you talked about the idea of people who are like not notebook people. How's the app like overall? I mean, as much as you can share, how has the app been received? Like, is it, is it, for me, I, I have always envisioned the bullet journal as like, this is the analog method. And I know the app exists, but how, how is that working? Do you feel? The app, um, for those who aren't aware of the app, is I see it as an extension of the notebook. So there are things that a notebook just like simply can't do. And for me, it's not about using analog. It's about using the right tools for the job. So for me, for thinking, writing by hand on paper, it serves that purpose. And I think in different ways. But the app will send you reminders. It'll help you keep track of these things. It'll help you, you know, take pictures of all your notebooks so you can actually have your entire library in your the palm of your hand so it's using technology where i feel like it can really add value to the bullet journalist so there's not a real conflict of interest there and i do some things that are super unpopular in the app like for example 
I don't carry my notebook everywhere that I go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not going to take my notebook to dinner. I'm not going to take it to the beach or that kind of thing. But my my mind doesn't stop working. So I'm like, okay, I need a I need a way to quickly jot down notes. So the app does allow you to jot down notes, but those notes disappear after 72 hours. Like completely. There's no way to get them back. There's no lock. There's no fail-safe. And the whole idea is to encourage people to think about whether these notes matter or not. And if they do, to write them back down in your notebook. So it's kind of like this bridge, if you will. And We've gotten a lot of feedback from people using the app and it keeps getting better all the time. And over the next year, we're actually going to be developing some really exciting features that I think can benefit bullet journalists even more so. I mean, I'm very much a hybrid user as well. Right. So I I come from a UX background, so I, I fully appreciate how powerful technology can be. And I want to take full advantage of it wherever possible. That's a perfect segue into your article about AI that you wrote not too long ago. (laughs) It's funny because I have plenty of friends that are like leaning in hard and others that are, you know, running away screaming people who I know that are really smart. And I'm like, to me, it almost feels like I remember reading a quote once about Anthony Bourdain running into the gray. Like, that's how I feel about this technology. It's like, it's not, it could be, it could be good. It could be bad. Like, can you, we're going to link to the article in the show notes for sure. Um, But can you give like just a summer summary of like your thoughts on this, especially leading itself? Cause we're seeing it being used in productivity tools. Like notions got their own AI that they're developing now. I mean, we've seen it in productivity tools before, just not as overt, I guess. Right. Like natural language is a form of AI. Like there's lots of things that we don't think about smart, smart dating, all that stuff there. Those are forms of AI, but now it's becoming a lot more heightened. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe the role that, it will play in kind of the the things that you're doing. Yeah, I've had a lot more thoughts since I wrote the article as well. But I think the short version of it is that we don't exactly know how this technology will affect us in the long run right now. I do feel like there's going to... There's, there's, Frank called it a dark renaissance, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> Just like, this could be this moment where things are going to get very grim because we're going to throw a lot of our current thought models against and it's not going to work right it's like everybody can become an author now everyone can write a scientific paper now everyone can do these things which makes subject matter experts really scratch their head like okay where do i fit into this and i feel like that's did you see the uh, meme where the person said um what's four plus or five plus three or something like that, or five plus four. And the AI came back and said, it's nine. He goes, well, my wife says it's eight and she's always right. And he goes, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's nine. And it was like a conversation. Eventually the the AI relented. Well, if your wife is always right, then it must be, (laughs) it must be eight and not nine. Like that's an example of like, you can game it. So it's, it's very, you're right. It's such a weird space right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like, it's hard to obviously predict the future, but for me, I think there's going to be there's going to be a little bit of a reckoning right now because we're trying to think about it in terms that we understand, which is the only thing that we can do. But once this technology becomes a lot more, um, I guess, integrated in our everyday life, we're going to see where it actually makes sense for us, and we're going to see how things change. You know, like. Uh, it's somebody likened AI to a calculator, right? It didn't get rid of math for people. It just 
became a tool for people to be able to do math a lot faster and more efficiently. And obviously that there are pro cons there as well. You don't do as much arithmetic in your head, but you're able to make progress faster. Uh, but again, I, I guess that's the kind of veil here. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's going to be a slump in a lot of different places when we're like a growing pain, like an intense growing pain. But after that, I think we'll, we'll have a lot more clarity and begin to understand. I mean, this is my hypothesis, right? The thing is that in many ways, I think it'll dominate us in two dimensions. That's, that's the layer where I feel like we just don't really, there's no way to compete. And by two dimensions, I mean, things are virtual, if you will, Mm -hmm. the screen, anything that you look at, that's the second dimension. And maybe this is a little bit trite, but I feel like there's an entire other dimension that we live in. (laughs) That's really critical to almost all of our reality, right? I mean, as fast as AI is evolving, when I look at the most sophisticated robots right now, they're not evolving as quickly. So I feel like the third dimension is still something that we're going to have to learn how to navigate on our own, if you will. So I, I feel like that's that's the the, 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 the the interface between the two-dimensional world and the three-dimensional world is going to be where we are still going to provide a lot of value, <laughs> if you will. Like This is where we won't get outmoded. It's it's always great to talk for a to, while. Yeah, for a while. It's always great to to <laughs> chat with, to chat with someone you know who when we can kind of go a little bit outside the space, but not totally because it does affect kind of. I mean, we it will affect um, the quality, the quantity, productivity, like all those things are going to be affected by it. Um, before we wrap up, I want to finish up with a question from um, from someone from the community as well, and this kind of leads itself to the future. Like what. You, you alluded to some of it, but what do you see as the next steps in the evolution of the bullet journal? For me, where I'm directing it towards is to, again, it's, it's, it's developing more and more programming around figuring out what it means to live an intentional life for each person. Because I feel like productivity can take the place of purpose often, but that's where it's so sorely missed, right? It's like a... You're the most productive person, but it feels completely empty. So for me, it's about using productivity as a way to help you make progress towards the things that are really meaningful to you. But understanding what is meaningful to you is not simple or straightforward. I feel like it requires a lot of work, and that work uh, can be done in many different ways. And I I feel like I want to use a lot of the systems and methodologies that I use for the bullet journal method to apply towards that understanding, right? How, what is meaningful to you? How do you move towards that thing that is meaningful productively? Ryder, as always, it's been a great conversation. Um, where can people keep up with you and uh, where can they get the book? Yeah, bulletjournal.com, everything. It's pretty much we're <laughs> at Bullet Journal. And, and by the way, your Instagram game is on point. The Bullet Journal Instagram game is totally on point. There's a whole thing about keeping score that we didn't get a chance to talk to about today on being grateful. There's lots of uh, the idea of setting boundaries and, and so on and so forth. That's I think you've got your medium. There's a blog, blog post there. But yeah, Bullet Journal, yeah, it's, uh, it's always a treat to get to chat with you. Thanks again for joining me for a productive conversation, Ryder. Thanks so much for having me. Big thanks to Ryder for joining me on the program today. You can find all of the show notes at productivityist.com slash podcast 463, or just look at your device if that's what you're doing right now. Show notes are there. 
The other thing that's there is the subscribe button. So just hit the subscribe button and that way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come and can easily search through the archives of the over 460 episodes of this program to date. The other way you can support the show beyond subscribing is to check out our sponsors, including those that you heard today on the program. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check those out. And then that way they know that we sent you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.